Yay, thank you, Jessica, for sharing. God is good, amen? amen. All right. Hey, um, I want to throw out a question. Maybe you can uh, turn to the person next to you and, and try and answer this question. What was your favorite toy growing up? As a kid, uh, maybe when you were 10 years old, what was your favorite toy as you were growing up? Can you think about that? And if you are so bold enough, can you share that with someone next to you? If you're online, you could write that in your chat box. Your favorite toy when you were about 10 years old. <laughs> I, uh, I never had this particular toy when I was growing up, but in about 1985, this toy was introduced into, uh, into America by some toy company, and it became all the rage. It was a toy called My Buddy. Does anyone remember the toy My Buddy? Okay, a handful of us in here. All right, I want to show you, for those of you who don't know My Buddy, I want to show you a picture of My Buddy. My Buddy was this like fascinating toy that really didn't do anything. <laughs> it was just kind of a toy that uh, everyone wanted to have for whatever reason. He didn't light up, he didn't talk, he didn't like squirt out water or anything like that. He's just like this, just that, that's all he was. Uh, but all over America, like kids wanted to buy My Buddy. It was crazy. Like why? All he, he had four different outfits. Um, I don't know if you had to change them out or if you had to buy separate My Buddies, but um, this is who he was. And it was crazy because like everyone wanted him uh, it became kind of a, a thing. Uh, the ladies, little girls got upset because my buddy was a boy and they didn't want a boy. And so there was a new one that came out called Kid Sister. Okay, here's Kid Sister. Right? <laughs> really kind of creepy looking, I know, but she was really popular also. So here they are together, my buddy and Kid Sister, a real pal and a true friend. It's really interesting because I remember asking Olive, I said, last night, I said, Olive, did you have my buddy or kid sister? She said, no, I didn't have one. I said, I oh, didn't. She said, did I want one? Yes. <laughs> she wanted one, just like all the other kids that were growing up in our time. Gina, you probably wanted one, right? And I know Eugene wanted one, Lawrence wanted one. Everyone who raised their hand, we all wanted my buddy. But what was it about my buddy that was so fascinating? I don't know if it was marketing genius in those days or it was just a great commercial, but the commercial, I mean, it had this... Uh, it, it had this jingle that if I start singing it, like probably many of you would remember. It goes, my buddy, my buddy. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm singing the words out of order, so you're not going to sing it the same way I am. It goes, um, wherever I go, he goes, my buddy. Uh, my buddy and me like to climb up a tree. My buddy and me are the best friends that could be. And in the commercial, you got this guy, like, he's, he's twinning with my buddy. I right? got the, the same clothes on. He's carrying my buddy around everywhere. He hold, in one scene, he holds him up like Lion King. He's, like, so proud of my buddy. He's, like, sliding down slides together. He's uh, riding a big wheel together, like him and my buddy. And he's running out of a clubhouse, and all these kids are chasing him because they don't care about the boy. All they want is my buddy, right? And then he's, like, sitting down watching TV, watching a movie that's, like, dark. And he's, like, sitting there so happy because his buddy is next to him. There was nothing remotely cool about my buddy, but there was something that was hypnotic about the commercial that made everybody want him. Like, what was it? I think the, the greatest thing about my buddy, a real pal, a true friend, is that the desire of every human being is that we would have a friend like that, someone who would stick with us like that. Wherever I go, he goes. It's the deep down longing of the human heart that we were created with in the Garden of Eden. It's not good 
for man to be alone. That was the issue. It wasn't, the, wasn't good for man to be single. Okay? The greatest answer to our needs is not that we get married. The greatest solution was that in having our deepest heart needs met, it's not good for us to be alone. It's loneliness, not singlehood. That was the issue that God was speaking to. And with that longing within our hearts, here comes this toy that was marketed to satisfy your deepest longing for a lifelong companionship. And people by the droves bought this silly little creature, character, doll, for three years until a movie called Child's Play came out and then everyone put their dolls under the bed because they're scared to death. We've been looking for the past six weeks and realizing that there is someone that has been given to us at amazing cost to his own self who will be that kind of friend that you and I, our hearts are longing for. His name is Jesus, and as we've been talking about him, I hope that there's been a sense in which, okay, I'm learning more about the friend that Jesus is. I hope that there's a longing. Maybe there's a longing to say, yeah, that's the friend I have. I want to know him more. Maybe for others of us, it's, that's what I could be having that I feel like I'm missing out on. What I want to do today is I want to talk about another one of the people that Jesus befriended and talk about how having a real friendship with Jesus, a real person, can be absolutely and utterly transformative in our lives. Not just smoke, not just um, speaking hyperbole, but in a real way. We're going to look at the friendship of Jesus and a woman named Mary Magdalene. Okay, Mary Magdalene you may have heard the name before. She's kind of like popular in pop culture because she's almost like a feminist icon of sorts because of some of the things that people have said about her that may not necessarily be true. Some of the things that you may have heard about Mary Magdalene was that uh, some <clears throat> heretical teachings are saying that she was married to Jesus, which is kind of crazy, but that's what some people say. Some movies that have been put out have said things like that. Other people said that Mary Magdalene was the lady who anointed Jesus with oil uh, right before he was to go to the cross. Um, that's a different Mary. That's Mary who is a sister of Martha and Lazarus, but some people equate the two together mistakenly, erroneously. There are some who believe that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute before she followed Jesus, uh, but again, there's no biblical teaching that says that. It's speculation. What the Bible does say is that Mary Magdalene was a person who was named at least 12 times in the Gospels. Every time a woman is named, almost every time a woman is written about in the Bible, it says, here's this lady. She was the mother of someone or she was the wife of someone. But with Mary Magdalene, there's no description in that sense. The only thing that it says about Mary Magdalene was that she was a follower of Jesus. She loved Jesus. She was a friend, a loyal, devoted disciple of Jesus. If Peter was the leader of the apostolic band of 12 disciples, Mary Magdalene was probably amongst the leaders of the group of women who followed Jesus. And what we want to do today is look at three verses. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And I want to help us to see who is Mary Magdalene and what did it mean that Jesus was a friend to her and then bring it down here into our level and into our hearing, what does it mean? What does Jesus' friendship with Mary Magdalene mean for us and the kind of relationship we can have with him? Luke chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. This is God's word. The word of God for the people of God says, after this, Jesus traveled about. Jesus traveled about. So he's going from one town and village to another, okay? Going through all these villages, towns, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, okay? One village to another, one town to another. The 12, okay, these are 12 disciples, were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, 
called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them. Who? Jesus and the twelve. They were helping to support them out of their own means. This is God's Word. What do we see about the friendship, Jesus and Mary? Two things, okay? Two things. First thing, friendship with Jesus, okay? Get this. Friendship with Jesus is not just a subject to be studied. He's a person to be experienced. Okay, friendship with Jesus, all, everything about Jesus, the life of Jesus, the times of Jesus, who he is, is not just a subject to be studied. It's not just a concept to be understood. He is a person to be experienced. Okay, there are a lot of people that you have come to know. Right? You know a lot about them. You've studied them. George Washington, Abe Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, there's a bunch of people. Jesus, as a historical person, not just a subject to be studied, but a person to be experienced. I kind of set all this up with my buddy, and I want to show you uh, the commercial. This is really old, and the quality is so bad that the highest quality we could choose was 360, whatever the letters come after 360. But I want to show you this commercial. I want you to see what makes it so mesmerizing about my buddy. Okay, let's start over with some sound. This sound is crucial. If we can get the sound. If not, I'll have to sing it again. Definitely my buddy with his bowl haircut, um, good-looking little guy. So good. How many of you are crying as you're watching this? How many of you are singing the song? Anyone singing the song along with it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is amazing. Yeah, don't be ashamed. We're all in this together. Okay, this is my buddy. It's awesome. Like, you see that my favorite part is when the the dudes are, like, chasing him out. They're like, oh, where's my buddy going? I got to go get him. But when I played this for for Olive last night, I said, hey, what what do you notice about it? And she's like, man, that kid is really passionate as he sings the song about my buddy. Did you notice that? Uh, some of you did. You go back and watch it again later. But he's so full of excitement and passion. He sings, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes. My buddy. He's so convicted of the fact that my buddy is the greatest thing on earth. And he's someone who has experienced the goodness and the beauty and the faithfulness of my buddy. I feel sad for him. I mean, I was reading some of the reviews, okay? Reading some of the, some of the comments on the YouTube video, and people, I mean, they said the same thing. I was singing every line of it. I can't believe it. it's 50 year, 30 years ago, and I still remember every word of it. Some guy's like, I, um, 35 years, and I still have my buddy. I carry him on the bus with me as I go to, and he's like, or so someone has said to me. It's crazy. Like, people do, I've had my buddy for 30 years. His clothes are all falling apart, but I still have him. It's crazy how people have this kind of, this kind of like, they're, they're mesmerized by my buddy, but the kid who's singing it, 
it's, it's pretty, it's pretty um, to me, it's almost powerful how convicted he is as he sings about my buddy. As a result of it, you see all these kids running around, all these people playing, all these people so happy, and when they play that commercial, all these kids go and they say, Mom, for Christmas, I want my buddy. Dad, I want my buddy. Santa Claus, I want my buddy. That's what I want, or I want kid sister. There's something about it. Why, why wasn't it good enough for them to just read? Hey, just read someone else talking about my buddy. Hey, just read that he was 23 inches tall. He doesn't do anything. He's got four kinds of clothes. It's not good enough for them to read about it, to study about it. They said, I need to experience my buddy for myself. Everyone else can talk about him, but I want to experience him. That's what I want. And the same is true when it comes to Jesus. See, a lot of us, a lot of us say, I know Jesus, I follow Jesus, I'm a child of God. But can I ask you a question? Have you experienced Jesus? Like, have you encountered Jesus in a personal way? Here's Mary, here's what it says about her. It says, 12 were with him as Jesus went town to town, village to village, verse 2. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, the first of whom is Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Okay, so you imagine this lady, Mary Magdalene. She could be just like any of us, except she didn't believe in Jesus at the time. She had demons living in her. That's a pretty bad life. She's afflicted. She's tormented. Maybe she's like, if you've seen movies like The Exorcist, you see her head is spinning around like 360 degrees on a swivel, and it keeps on going around. I don't think that's the way it really works, but maybe she was doing stuff like that. Maybe she was doing handstands. Maybe she was talking like a man. Maybe she was lifting up and throwing boulders all around, but she was tormented by demons. It doesn't say, like the demoniac on the other side of the river in the garrisons, doesn't tell us what her life was like. She doesn't say she was cutting herself. She was screaming. She couldn't sleep at night. She was in chain, chained. It doesn't say things like that. It just says she had seven demons in her. Like, what does that mean? Seven is the number of completion. That means that the number of demons in her was so complete that her torment was insufferable. She was in the deepest kind of suffering. So here's Mary. She's got these demons all up in her life, causing her to do things that she doesn't want to do, causing her to do things that are harmful, causing her to do things that hurt other people, that hurt herself. Here's Mary, and all of a sudden, someone comes up to her and says, you know what you need? You need a little bit of Jesus. She doesn't say, hey, can you give me a book about Jesus? Tell me about him. What does she need? She doesn't need a podcast to learn about Jesus. She doesn't need a website where she can learn about Jesus. She doesn't need uh, to sit for a lecture about all the things that Jesus does. What does she need? She needs to encounter and experience Jesus. That's what she needs. It's the same thing that you and I need. What did Mary need? She didn't need to know that Jesus can heal her. She needed to encounter the healing touch of Jesus. She didn't know that Jesus could fix her. She needed Jesus to come and fix her. That's what she needed. That's what you and I need. Jesus is not a subject simply to be studied. He's a person to be encountered, to be experienced. Have you experienced Jesus in your life? A lot of us say, I know Jesus, I've encountered Jesus, I've experienced Jesus. We sing the songs. But can I ask again, are the songs you're singing your own songs or are they someone else's song? 
You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Is that true of your life? Do you know that? Do you know what are the chains that Jesus has broken in your life? We say we're free from sin. Maybe you and I are free from the penalty of sin, but have you been freed from the power of sin in your life right now? So many people say, I've been set free, but you're still enslaved in bondage to anxiety, to worry, to insecurity, to fear, to money, to possessions, to what other people think of you, to alcohol. You're still enslaved to things and you're singing, Jesus, there's no one like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. But have you experienced it? Because Jesus isn't just a subject to be studied, a concept to be understood. He's a person to be experienced. Have you experienced him in power? Because that's what he's saying. That's what Mary Magdalene is understanding. She doesn't say, say, I want to know about him. Oh, this is great. He's about six feet tall. He's not that good looking. He's got long brown hair. He's got to be. That's not what she knows. She knows that she's experienced him in power. That's the kind of friend that Jesus wants to be. Do you know him in that way? Blaise Pascal was a uh, philosopher, mathematician in the 17th century, theologian. He was uh, famous for the theory of probability. He was the first one to uh, create the calculator, the basis for the modern-day digital calculator that could add numbers together in uh, just rapid fashion. This was Blaise Pascal, Pascal's triangle, Pascal's wager, Pascal's theorem. This is who he was. So he would debate in the halls of Europe in the, the mid-1600s the reality of who God is. He would debate with philosophers. He would talk with them, and he would debate about the reality of God and Christianity over other religions. But it wasn't until this one particular night in 1654 that Blaise Pascal said he actually encountered Jesus, like who Jesus is, the God of Scripture. He, he, he talks about it. You could Google Blaise Pascal um, conversion encounter, something like that, because he, he wrote this piece um, he wrote a paragraph of, of, of what happened. And he says, like, from this hour at night until this hour in the morning, he said, the only word he could use to describe it, he said, fire. <laughs> like, fire. We use that fire emoji a lot when we talk about, oh, my gosh, this, um, this, this restaurant I ate at, fire. Or this TV show, Squid Game, fire emoji. Or, oh, my gosh, that worship service was fire. Blaise Pascal was talking fire. Like, this is this is the fire he's talking about. And as he's encountering God, he said at half past nine or whatever it is, he said, fire, said, I encountered God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then he said, not the God of the philosophers. And then he said at the end, joy, 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 tears of joy. Have you experienced God in that way, the way that so many people have experienced him? Like Jesus is not, listen, I'm, he's, not, he's not a concept to be studied. The first miracle Jesus did at the wedding of Cana, right? You remember this, he turned water into wine. In order for you to know who Jesus is, you had to taste that, you had to experience that. Jesus is saying, this is who I am. I came to give you an experience of me. Not just this rote completely rational kind of, I mean, he's rational, absolutely, but it's not just relegated to the area of the mind. Je here's what Jesus is saying with his first miracle. He's saying, this dry, joyless religion, I came to bring life to you. In other words, if you think in following Jesus, you are giving up joy, 
what Jesus is saying at his first miracle, he's saying, you have no idea the Jesus that you've come to follow. If your life is more boring as you begin to follow Jesus, then you're following the wrong Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. Have you experienced this kind of Jesus? Not just in your mind, but in your life. A couple weeks ago in our Harvest 201 class, we were meeting, and if you've taken the class, you know that week seven, we spend the day fasting because we're talking about, learning about the Holy Spirit. But we don't want to just learn about Holy Spirit. We don't want to just learn about facts about Jesus. We want to encounter, we want to experience God in that way. And so what we do is our students fast that day. Most of the class fasted the entire day as their way of saying, God, I want to, I want to meet with you. I want to experience you in power. Others will, will fast a meal or two meals or whatever they can, they can do. And they come ready, hungry. Remember last week we said you meet Jesus often when you're desperate for him. We come in that place, God, I'm desperate for you. I want you more than I want food. This is my way of saying I want you. As we learn about the Holy Spirit, we went around and just had a time. Let's pray as we're worshiping. Pastor Josiah is leading us in, in songs of worship. There must be more than this. Spirit of God, uh, come breathe within, right? Consuming fire, fill me with your presence. And, and as we're praying, I, one of the things I said was, listen, hey, we're going to pray. Uh, we're going to anoint you with oil and pray for the Holy Spirit to touch you. A lot of us, like, we're not going to experience anything. We're not going to feel anything, but we're just going to trust that God has touched us and filled us according to his promise. That's, that's all it is. We're just praying and trusting that the Father wants to give His Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. That's all we're doing. We came back the next week and said, hey, let's just share. A anyone have any experience that they want to share after the you know, week has gone by? And people just started sharing different things. And, and one guy who grew up in our church, grew up in our youth ministry, faithfully served the Lord, faithfully walked with the Lord, uh, went to college and was faithfully serving out of state, uh, praise team, different uh, ministry ventures, came back home, and he's, he's still serving with us to this day. He said, you know, I just wanted to share, and, and, and without going into great detail, he said, that night I experienced God for, I think, the first time in my life. I encountered God for the first time. And as I was going home, I, I called up my friends, and I told them all, guys, I met Jesus tonight. Like, I met him. Another person said, you know, as we're, we're praying, I've had this, this pain in my neck. I've had a pinched nerve, and, and for, uh, for, for a long, long time with you know, pain and, and, and work and all that busyness and, and stuff, it's, it's limited my range of motion, couldn't, couldn't turn my face. And after we prayed that night, the next morning I woke up and the pain was all gone. Like I felt, I felt healed, I felt like I was better, and I had to, I had to ask uh, someone next to me to pinch me to make sure that I wasn't dreaming because I had never felt this kind of uh, physical release before. And he, he was showing us, like, I can turn my, I've never been, I haven't been able to turn my head this way for a long time, and it, and it still feels it feels good. We encounter God because he's not just a person that is subject to be studied. He's a person to be experienced. Have you encountered Jesus in this way? Because friendship with Jesus, the way that Mary Magdalene understands, the way that the leper understands. He's a leper. He's a leper. He doesn't need to, hey, you know what? You should really, uh, you should really read a book about Jesus. He doesn't want to read a book about Jesus. He just wants to get face to face with Jesus that his life could be changed. And that's what Jesus does. Not just a subject to be studied. The person to be encountered, to be experienced. He wants to do that. That's the kind of friend he is to you, kind of friend he wants to be to me as well. The first thing. Second thing, how do you know? 
How do you know that you've encountered Jesus? You know that you've encountered Jesus. You know you've experienced Jesus. Very simply, if your life has been changed. <laughs> your life has been changed. That's it. Here's Mary. She's got demons all up in her life, making her do things she don't want to do, making her do crazy things. She encounters Jesus, and then all of a sudden, if you watch the TV series, the, the internet series Chosen, which I think would be a great thing for all of us to do. She comes out in episode one, she gets delivered, she comes out in episode two, and she tells about it. She's talking to a high priest, Nicodemus, a Pharisee about it, talking to uh, Nicodemus, not a high priest, he's a Pharisee, talking to him about it. He thinks he's done it because he did something to her that the, uh, that the uh, whatever that the law said you got to do. She, he thinks it was her, but it wasn't. She's like, it wasn't you, it was someone else. He's like, who was it? It was Jesus. But what did he do? What was, it? what was it like? What happened in that place? And she tells this story. Basically, she's like, I don't know. I don't even know. And at the high point, the climax of that conversation, she says, here's what I know, Nicodemus. I was one way before, but after I met him, I'm completely different now. That's what she said. I was one way before, but I'm completely different now. Is that your story also? For her, it was clear. Whenever people saw her, they're like, whoa, Mary, something happened to you. Like, you used to be crazy. Now you're calm. What happened to you? Your hair used to be like all flying everywhere. Now it's like combed and normal. What's wrong with you? What happened? It's like, well, I, I, I had these demons living in me. They're God now. Like, Jesus set me free. I was one way before, but after I met him, I'm completely different now. That's Jesus. That's what he comes to do. Uh, Olivia was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, and it's, I, I don't know what it was about, but one of the things he said was, if you don't change after meeting Jesus, you haven't met Jesus. Yeah, you look back five years of your life, you ought to be able to say, people who know you ought to be able to say, you know what, they're different. They're different five years later. They're a little bit more patient. They're more forgiving. They're a lot more gracious to other people. They're more loving. In some way, there ought to be changed. People ought to know, not just like they go to church a lot more. They're more committed to house church. They go to youth meetings they're better at video games. That's not, that's not the, that's external change. Talk about like internal, like from the inside out. When there's a new root, there will be new fruit. If you've encountered Jesus, there will be a change in you. I remember talking with a guy some time ago. He was, uh, he was a Marine and real, I mean, distinguished dude. He was young, much younger than me at the time. And he said, yeah, I want to I uh, explore what it means to, to know Jesus. So I shared with him, and he's like, well, one thing, Pastor, he, uh, he said, uh, if, I, if I do this, do I, have to, do I have to change the way that I live? Like, I look at you, uh, you read the Bible, you pray, and, like, you don't go to clubs. You don't chase after women. You don't get drunk on alcohol. You don't get high. You don't do those things. I'm not sure I want to do that because I want to I know Jesus, but at the same time, I don't, wanna, I don't want life to be boring. I want to have my fun also. And so I said, yo, yeah, I read the Bible. I pray. I love it. But I said, you don't understand, though. I still go to clubs whenever I want to go to clubs. 
I still drink and get drunk whenever I want to get drunk. Okay, don't leave. I still get high whenever, I, not, not I still, but I get high whenever I want to get high. I've never gotten high before in my life, by the way, nor have I ever gotten drunk. But I'm saying these things. He's like, but, but, but church people, Christians don't do that. I said, it's because I do that whenever I, want to, whenever I want to do it, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Maybe I wanted to do that before, but my desires have been changed by a Jesus who lives in me now. Now I want to love him. I want to honor him. That's exciting to me. My desires have changed so that I could be who he wants me to be. The things that were tormenting Mary, you understand, are the same things that torment us. It may not be demons, but there are certain things in our lives that are keeping us from living life the way God intended us to live. For some of you, it's those things that I just mentioned. It's anxiety, it's fear, it's drugs, it's insecurity, it's your image, it's how people think about you. That's keeping you because you're so fixated and enslaved to those things that you can't live the life God's calling you to live because your image matters more than following Jesus, because your popularity means more than following Jesus, because your wealth means more than following Jesus. Jesus came to set us free from all of those things. He came to change us, and then you, and you know that you've encountered Jesus when your life has been changed by him. I can be honest for a little bit. There are a lot of people who come to church who haven't encountered Jesus. Okay, I just want to put that out there to be very clear. Because again, I, I say this often, I would rather over-diagnose the issue than under-diagnose it. Because a lot of people are coming to church whose lives haven't been changed. And Jesus said, if there's no fruit in our lives, you'll know them by their fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in increasing measure. That's how you know, Jesus said. Our lives are changed when we encounter Jesus. Here's Mary Magdalene. Three ways that her life was changed, that our lives ought to be changed too. Number one, very simply, it says that she followed Jesus. Okay, verse one. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town in village to another, okay, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Here's Mary. Jesus is going from town to town, village to village, and wherever she's going, wherever he's going, G uh, Mary is following him. Do you know what it's called when someone follows another person wherever they go? Do you know what this is called? right. It's called a follower. Are you a follower of Jesus? How closely do you follow Jesus? Mary said, my life was one way before, not a good way. It was in a bad, bad place. Jesus met me and my life has never been the same. He has broken every chain. There is salvation in his name. Jesus Christ, my living hope, I want to I want to latch my, uh, my, myself to him, and I want to follow him wherever he goes. Have you experienced the saving, transforming work of Jesus? Because if you have, then you want to follow him. That's our desire, is to follow him. Do you remember the movie Shrek, the, the big green ogre? It was a great, great movie. But there's this really wonderful scene, okay, great scene 
at the beginning where, I think it's at the beginning, imagine, I think it's at the beginning where Lord Farquaad, right, the Lord over the land of Dulak, I think is the name, what it's called. If you don't remember Lord Farquaad, Olive says, I look like him. So here's Lord Farquaad, right? He is purchasing or he is get, getting these fairy tale characters. And so people are, are bringing them in, they're selling them to Lord Farquaad. And so, like, Peter Pan is selling to Tinkerbell, it's so bad. Pinocchio, like, Pinocchio is being sold uh, to Lord Farquaad's men, and uh, Pinocchio, he, he's like, well, what is this thing? What's so good about it? Oh, it's a talking puppet. And Pinocchio's like, no, I'm not a puppet. I'm a real, I'm not a puppet. I'm a real boy. And then his nose grows, and they're like, all right, take him for five shillings or five shekels or whatever it is. He buys Pinocchio. And then here comes this lady with a talking donkey. <laughs> Named Donkey. I don't know what, I don't know what fairy tale, what story donkey is from. But the dude is like, all right, what do you got here? She's like, I got a talking donkey. And donkey looks at all these people getting loaded up in the wagons and being like shut into prison. He's like, I'm not going to go with them. I don't want to go with them. So he doesn't talk. She's like, he's a talking donkey. And she's like, talk, donkey. And he's like, I'm not going to talk, right? So she's like moving his mouth, pretending to talk. And they're like, all right, this is bad. Take her away. And so she's like, no, he really talks. And she's like throwing a fit. And she kicks this thing of pixie dust into the air. Do you remember this scene? This is beautiful. Pixie dust goes up in the air, and it falls on donkey, right? And then donkey starts flying. And all of a sudden, he's like, dude, I'm out of here. I found my freedom. So he's like, ha ha, suckers, I talk, I talk and I fly too. I'm not just a talking donkey, I'm a flying, I'm a talking flying donkey. And he's really excited, right? Really excited, he's flying. And then all of a sudden, the pixie dust begins to wear off. And he's like, oh shoot, I'm falling back to the ground. You remember this, right? He falls back to the ground and then as he falls to the ground, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm a goner. And so Lord Farquaad's men say, seize him, and they go chasing after him, and then Donkey goes running through the, through the forest being chased by all these uh, knights in shining armor. And that's where he encounters Shrek. Remember the scene in the forest? He like bumps into Shrek and says, like, oh my gosh. And all of a sudden, the knights who are going to capture Donkey are like, oh my gosh, they see this big giant ogre. And then they, uh, the guy in front, he, he's scared to death, but he pulls out the scroll and he reads the riot act saying, we're going to pull you, we're going to take you in, because Lord Farquaad says, we need to take you in. Meanwhile, all the other people have gotten scared, and they've run and left this guy by himself. And he's like, you've got to come with me. And Shrek is like, oh, you and what army? And the guy looks around, and he's like, okay, see, and he takes off running. And so Donkey realizes that he's found it. I'm crying because it's so touching. Just kidding. So Donkey has found his freedom. Okay, Donkey's found his freedom, and he's like, oh, my gosh. He looks at Shrek, his savior, and he's like, oh, my goodness, this is, you are amazing. And so here's Donkey, and he's like, oh, my gosh, dude, I, what you did back there was awesome. Dude, you are so awesome. And then Shrek is like, yeah, with your newfound freedom, go, go tell about your freedom with your friends. Because Shrek is an ogre. He's a loner. He doesn't want to be with people, doesn't want to be a talking dog, donkeys, anything like that. He says, go tell your friends about your freedom. And Donkey's like, I don't have any friends. I got no friends. And then he's like, I got an idea. I got a great idea. You and I could be friends. I'll follow you wherever you go. Shrek is like, that's a bad idea. But for the rest of the movie, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and Shrek 4D at Universal Studios, wherever Shrek goes, Donkey follows him. Because he realizes, I was dead. I was gone. I was enslaved. But I found one who broke every chain and gave me salvation. Because of that, I want to follow him.
everywhere I, he goes. That's what Mary did with Jesus. If we've encountered Jesus not only as a friend, but you don't know Jesus as a friend unless you know Jesus as a Savior, then we want to follow him wherever we go, wherever he goes. Like my buddy and me, <laughs> we follow Jesus wherever he goes. The other thing that happens, she follows him all around, and then it says, and then it says at the end of verse 3, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. When Jesus grabbed a hold of her life, she said, what can I do? How can I let other people know? How can I let my friends who are enslaved encounter the same Jesus? What can I do? Besides follow him, she said, maybe I can, maybe I can give whatever I have and, and I'll follow him. And, and these guys gave up their jobs. I could support them with my, with my money. See, she came from a town called Magdala, which was a fishing town, which was a textile town, which was a rich town on the Sea of Galilee. And most people say that Mary Magdalene was a woman of great wealth because she was not a married woman, but she had money. Somehow, either she inherited it, whatever she did, maybe she was a, a seller of fabric like, uh, like Tabitha in the book of Acts. Whatever she did, she, made, she had a lot of money. But she said, here, Jesus, just like Lazarus, I'm going to take all of this and I want to give it away. I want to give it away so that your mission and your purpose and your kingdom could be made known. How do you know that you know Jesus because you're willing to let other people encounter him? If your life has been changed like that, that's why we want to, that's why we want to blast on social media every great thing that happens in our lives. This restaurant that I'm eating at, this scholarship that I won, this new job that I got, the promotion that I got, check out these new kicks that I got. We want to show everyone because we want them to know that our lives have been changed and we want to share that joy with other people. That's what Mary's doing. She said, if I could just take the money that I once thought was mine and give it to Jesus, how many more people, how many more towns, how many more villages could be reached, how many more people like me could be changed by Jesus? Do you know that kind of Jesus that it makes you say, yeah, you know what, rather than, rather than me spending money on all of these things that everyone says I should have, this new bicycle or this new clothing or this new thing, I've got millions of them. What if, what if we decide to leverage that for kingdom purposes? There's enough, Christian Smith wrote a book called Passing the Blade. He said, if every Christian in America tithed, in America gave their 10% which is basically rent for living on earth. If we tithed our 10% to God, that there would be no poverty in the world. Everyone would have clean water throughout the world. We could eradicate so many of society's ills around the world globally if every Christian in America gave their tithe. Because you see, God gives enough to meet the world's need. He doesn't give enough to satisfy the people's greed. Jesus, God doesn't bless us with more so that we could raise our standard of living. He blesses us with more so that we could raise our standard of giving so that more people could experience the life-changing message. If we really believe that this is the greatest message that the world could know, that this really is the life-changing, life-saving, life-altering, world-transforming one, then it ought to invade our 
checkbook, our savings account, everything about our lives. Here she is. Okay, think about this. The songs that we sing, Mary Magdalene could sing those same songs. <clears throat> Here's Jesus. Heal my heart and make it clean. That's her song. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. As she follows Jesus village to village, as she sees him coming to people, broken people coming to him, as she sees him touching lepers, do you think her heart is broken for the leper? Do you think she filled with compassion? See, when we begin to follow Jesus, we begin to say, everything I am for your kingdom cause as I walk from earth into eternity. She begins to realize, man, my eyes are beginning to see differently. They're beginning to see with blazing passion the heartbeat of Jesus for people. I used to see them as annoyances. I used to see them as nuisances. Now I see them as people dearly loved by God. Her heart begins to change, and it literally begins to break for what breaks his. Her hands begin to reach out and touch broken people the way that Jesus touched her. Her feet begin to go to places where Jesus would go, where she wouldn't dare go before. Her knees became rusty and smooth, the smooth knees become rough and, and broken because she's praying for the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. She experiences that transformation, and so she says, all that I am, all of my time, all of my talents, all of my tithes, all of my treasures, all of my everything, I give to you, Jesus. How do you know that Jesus has encountered you See, a lot of us say, everything I am belongs to Jesus. But when push comes to shove, we still treat our money as if it's our money. Still treat our time as if it's our time. We still guard our abilities, and instead of releasing them in ways that are uncomfortable, we want to serve in ways that are within arm's length so that my life isn't changed too much by me being involved in these things. If I, as long as I can keep these ducks in order and still do this. But when Jesus calls us to take one step outside, which is where the power of God always lies, right? One step outside of what's comfortable. We're like, eh, I don't want to do that. I want to do that. And yeah, we have to be healthy. We have to care for ourselves. But we can't let that be an excuse. Remember Jesus, John 4, tired as he was from the journey, sat down and there he gave himself to a woman who became the greatest evangelist in Samaritan history. Okay, we don't always have to be at the tip-top best place in our lives to be able to give to God. Okay? Sometimes it's in giving to God in those places that he actually meets us and restores us. Yeah, there's a mystery to it, there's nuance, there's wisdom that we need to understand, but let's not make excuses. If we encounter Jesus, the want to should be there, if not the ability to do so. Like the want to ought to be there within our hearts. Not only does she follow him, not only does she give all that she is for him, she goes and she tells about Jesus. Where does she, where does she go? She follows him everywhere. She follows him all the way to Calvary's cross. The one place in the Roman world where nobody else wanted to go. Roman citizens would pray to their gods that they'd never have to witness a crucifixion because of the horrors and the terrors of it. But something motivated Mary Magdalene to be there when all the other disciples fled, except for John. Mary Magdalene was there. A couple other ladies were there as well. What would, what would cause a woman, what would cause anyone to be there while their friend, their best friend, was being crucified, 
could not breathe, could not lift his head? What caused someone to be there to witness the most torturous, humiliating act of criminal execution that the world could ever conjure up? What caused someone to be there in that moment? Not only was she there, she was the last one at the cross. Everybody else left. Mary Magdalene was still there. She was there when Joseph of Arimathea took the body down with Nicodemus, laid him to rest in his tomb. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. Mary was there saying, can I go with you? Can I follow? I want to make sure I know where Jesus is. I want to be there with him. Because even in death, she says, I don't want to leave him. I want to follow him. I want to be there with him. Easter morning rises, uh, sun rises. Even at dark, she goes there. She's the first one at the tomb on Easter morning because she wants to give him a proper burial. She doesn't know how the stone is going to be rolled away, but when she gets there, wonder of wonders, the stone is gone. She's like, what in the world happened? She runs to Peter and John. She says, guys, the tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. They run back. She became the first witness to the empty tomb. She became the first witness to the greatest news that the world could ever know. In a time when the testimony of women was never valid in a court of law. She became the witness. Why? Because she understood. She understood something that nobody else understood, that Jesus was not only her friend, not only her deliverer, but he was her savior. When she knelt at the cross, I can't imagine what it would be like when the next time she was in a church gathering and they took part in the Lord's Supper. The bread that was broken, and she realized this was what I saw when I knelt at the cross, my Jesus, my Savior, my friend, broken for me. When she takes the cup and she drinks of the blood, the wine that represents the blood, she said, I saw his blood poured out for me. I want to think where I would be if not for you, Jesus, if not for you. She understood what no one else in those days, understood fully. She understood that when Jesus lived the life that she failed to live and died the death that they should have died and rose again victorious in order that in his life, we might have life also, the life that is eternal that begins the moment we believe in Jesus. We encounter Jesus, our lives change, and that life continues through the doorway of death and into eternity. Because this is what it means to be a friend of Jesus. Have you encountered Jesus in this way? Have you been changed by him in your desires? I want to be like Jesus. I want to forsake sin, forsake all others, to be a friend of God, to follow Jesus. Have you experienced him in this way, that you want to follow wherever he leads you, even to a cross, knowing that the cross is not the end, there is a glorious life that is to come? Do you know Jesus in such a way that you say, everything I am for your kingdom's cause? Do you know Jesus in such a way that you want to tell everybody about him? Because this is the life that he's called us to live. This is what it means when he begins a relationship with us. And Jesus changes us from the inside out and our lives are not the same ever again. That's our glorious inheritance in Jesus. There's a, uh, an insect called the dragonfly. You guys probably know a dragonfly. But a dragonfly would often fly over a lake, body of water. The reason dragonflies fly over the water is because that's where they were born. That's where all their siblings were born. It's where all their friends were born. Every dragonfly is born in the water. And then as they grow and as they mature, they grow wings and they learn to fly and they realize, 
holy cow, life is so much more beautiful outside of the boggy swamp in which I was born. There's an amazing world to explore. This is living now. But then why do they go back to the waters? Why do they go back to the swamp? Why do they go back to the place in which they were born? Because they realize that as great as it is to fly, you've got little siblings who are still stuck down there. And they go back because they want to show them that there's a better life. They want to show them that there's more to life. They want to show them that there's something beautiful, that you can have this also. See, the freedom that Mary Magdalene understood was a life-changing freedom that comes with friendship with Jesus when she put her trust in him. Everything was different, but she could not forget where she came from. She could not forget the others. And so she went and she told them of the hope of Christ. This is us. This is our story too. If you've encountered Jesus, it's not that you do this because that's something I've got to do. You do it because this is what I want to do. My life has been changed. Jesus offers this kind of friendship to Mary Magdalene but he offers it to you and me today. He says, your life doesn't need to be the same. If you experience that life, he holds it out for us. Let's grab a hold of it and let's pray. Let's pray for a few moments right now. If you're a friend of Jesus, let's thank him for being a faithful friend. Let's confess ways in which we've been unfaithful. Let's pray, Lord, I want to be a faithful friend to you. Let's pray for that. For others of us in here, guys, maybe there are some of us in here. We think we've been friends with Jesus. We think we know Jesus. Guys, I want to give an invitation. I don't know if, you know, I don't don't have expectation of what this will look like. We didn't do this in the first service. But I want to give you an opportunity to respond Some of you are here and you don't know Jesus the way that Mary did, the way that you know you ought to, the way that you want to. If we're not friends with Jesus, there is a life to come. And only if we put our trust in Jesus will we live with him the way life was meant to be lived forevermore. The great thing is that you don't have to wait until eternity to receive that life. You get the down payment of it now. Begins the moment you believe new life in Christ. Some of you have been coming to church for a long time. Some of you have not been coming for a long time. But as you hear this message, you realize, whether short or long time, I need Jesus in my life. I don't want to live in bondage to the things that I'm enslaved to right now. I need Jesus in my life. I want to give this invitation in about 30 seconds. If there's anyone like that, I want to know Jesus that way. In half a minute, I'm going to come back and, and, and I'm going to say, hey, if that's you, just raise your hand from where you are. I'm not going to make you do anything. Just raise your hand so I could see you so that we can have a chance to talk afterwards about what it means. But if you raise your hand, if there's people who raise their hand, then I want to pray together a prayer so that we could put our trust in Jesus, so that we could have that life that he offers to us. So for 30 seconds, can we pray? If you're already a friend of Jesus, pray to him. If you're not, Jesus, I, I want to know what it's like to have you as a friend. Far better than my buddy, far better than a BFF. Jesus, I want you to be my friend. Can we pray just on our own for about 30 seconds? 
And then I'll uh, yeah, just come back and uh, give an invitation for us. As we continue to pray, if you know, everyone's eyes are closed, if you feel like, hey, I need Jesus in my life today. I've been to church for a long time, but realize my life hasn't changed. Not that I try to change, but when Jesus comes in, he changes us from the inside out. And then we work with him to grow in that transformation. If you're here and you feel like, yeah, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. And this is not for those who have already trusted Christ and you want to recommit. That's not for, for you. But for those of us in here who, yeah, I think I need Jesus in my life. I want to trust him as my friend, as my Savior, as my Lord. With all our eyes closed, if that's you, you can keep your eyes closed. You can open your eyes if you want, if you're raising your hand. But if that's you, I just want to invite you to raise your hand. Say, yeah, you know what? I need Jesus. Praise God. Okay, thank you. Okay. Yeah, if there's others in here, I, I need Jesus in my life. And, uh, if you're worshiping online, you can uh, make this your decision as well. You could indicate that on your filling out a welcome card. Jesus loves you so much regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, and no matter how bad you think you are, His grace is bigger. No matter how good you think you've been, yeah. the standard before God is perfect holiness. Yeah, praise God for those who have said, I need Jesus in my life. There's others in here. And really, this is between you and God, but I yeah, see so that we could tell you about the next steps. Praise God. Yeah, I'm going to just, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to pray slowly for you to pray this prayer in your heart as well. You can make this your own. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being my friend even before I ever knew who you were. Thank you for dying for me even before I knew I needed a Savior. But now I realize that my sins have enslaved me. And you came to live and to die and to rise again for me, my substitute. Thank you for doing that for me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Change me from the inside out and help me to be who you want me to be. And we'd have new desires for you to follow you, to give, and to tell others of who you are. So, Father, for all who prayed that prayer for the first time, 
and all who've prayed that prayer as a reminder of what they once and still believe. We pray that you would help us to be the best friends to Jesus that we could be. Come and touch our hearts. Come and change us from within. Make us more like you. And as we respond now to your word through song, remind us of our journey, of our story, of how we've been changed. And that we remember that without you, apart from you, we could not be who we are. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.